Can you lobby councillors? You're listening to the Planning, Environment and Property podcast, brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. I'm Richard Harwood. I'm a barrister, a QC at 39 Essex Chambers. This is the first of a short series of podcasts looking at lobbying councillors and local authorities. The focus is on the consideration of planning applications by a council committee, because usually where issues of tactics and procedures become most acute. I appeared for Holborn Studios in the case last year, which established that lobbying was appropriate. It's also a councillor in a London borough, though that does feel a very long time ago. In planning application cases, there are two separate categories. The members of the committee who would be making the decision, and other councillors who would not decide the application and so may be able to support your view in advance. The non-determining councillors, who would usually be a ward or divisional member, can be encouraged to make representations. Such members can campaign vigorously for one side or another. But it is for those individual politicians to decide what, if any, stance to take. The council's scheme of delegation may have a provision whereby an application may have to go to committee if a member requests it. That request might have to be made in the statutory consultation period and in a certain form. So the council's constitution should be checked in good time if you're looking to rely on that. Committee members, if they have any sense, would not express a view on an application before the meeting. Whilst commenting on an application in advance does not necessarily prohibit the council from taking a decision, it is sensibly seen as a bad practice. The applicant, objectors and supporters may wish to make representations to the planning committee. This will usually be by writing to the committee members before the meeting or by speaking at the committee if the authorities' procedures allow for this. Writing to committee members has been a generally accepted practice but is addressed by the, the courts for the first time in 2020 in a case called the Queen on the application of Holborn Studios Limited and London Borough of Hackney No. 2. The case concerned the practice of Hackney Council of prohibiting planning committee members from reading correspondence sent to them about forthcoming applications. Holborn Studios run the largest photographic studio in Europe. Redevelopment is proposed by their landlords, with a housing and com commercial scheme which will not accommodate them. In 2017, Holborn Studios secured the quashing of planning permission because of an unfair failure to reconsult them and others on amendments to the scheme and a failure to disclose application documents in breach of a legitimate expectation. A new ap planning application was considered by Hackney's planning subcommittee in January 2019. Shortly before the meeting, Holborn Studios' managing director wrote to the committee members about the officer's report and received this reply from the chair of the committee. Planning members are advised to resist being lobbied by either applicant or objectors. Holborn Studios' solicitor, Susan Ring of Harrison Grant, then wrote to the planning officers copying in the committee members explaining why the officer recommendation to refuse the application should be rejected. She also said that Hackney's approach of not allowing committee members to read representations sent to them was unlawful. A councillor replied that he'd been given legal advice that he should, and I quote, forward any lobbying letters to governance services and refrain from reading them. 
Consequently, he said, I have not read your email. In an addendum report, the officers responded to the solicitor's letter. Members are warned about viewing lobbying material as this can be considered to be prejudicial to their consideration of the application. This reflected the council's leaflet, how to have your say at the planning subcommittee, which was sent to the public in advance of the meeting, which said, it is advised that you don't contact any of the councillors before a meeting. Whether the public could write to councillors was remarkably free of any judicial authority, apart from a passing comment by Mr Justice Dove in Legard and London Borough of Kensington and Chelsea that, as democratically elected representatives, they are expected to receive and consider representations and lobbying from those interested in the issues they are determining. That case, though, was concerned with allegedly excessive lobbying of council officers by a neighbourhood forum, uh, and very little was said about councillors themselves. In Holborn Studios, permission to apply for judicial review was granted by Mrs Justice Leaven at a contested hearing. The judge, who, as it happens, had been a London Borough Councillor when she'd been a barrister, described the ban on communicating with councillors as, I quote, absolutely extraordinary and utterly unrealistic and as a fundamentally undemocratic. The final hearing of the judicial review came before Mr Justice Dove, who'd also been a councillor long before becoming a judge. Hobbin Studios relied on Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights and on the common law. Article 10 provides, everyone has a right to freedom of expression. This right shall include freedom to hold opinions and to receive and impart information, subject to such formalities, conditions, restrictions or penalties as are prescribed by law and are necessary in a democratic society. In the case of Lord Carlyle and Secretary of State for the Home Department, parliamentarians had asked for the exclusion of a dissident Iranian politician from the United Kingdom to be lifted to enable her to address meetings in Parliament. In the Supreme Court, Lord Newberg said, whilst discussing meetings with MPs and peers, these are hugely important rights. Freedom of speech, and particularly political speech, is the foundation of any democracy. Without it, how can the electorate know whom to elect, and how can the parliamentarians know how to make up their minds on the difficult issues they have to confront? How can they decide whether or not to support the government in the actions it wishes to take? Baroness Hale emphasised that whilst the Iranian politician could still speak to UK parliamentarians by video or audio link, or they could go to see her in Paris, preventing a meeting at Westminster was still an interference with the parliamentarians' Article 10 rights. Holborn Studios also relied on the common law as being in step with Article 10, citing the judgment of Lord Steyne in Queen and the Home Secretary, uh, ex parte Sims. The starting point is the right of freedom of expression. In a democracy, it is the primary right. Without it, an effective rule of law is not possible. Lord Steyne referred to Lord Gough's view that in the field of freedom of speech, there was in principle no difference between English law on the subject and Article 10 of the Convention. Lord Steyne continued, Freedom of expression is, of course, intrinsically important. 
it is valued for its own sake. But it is well recognised that it is also instrumentally important. It serves a number of broad objectives. First, it promotes the self-fulfilment of individuals in society. Secondly, in the famous words of Justice Holmes, uh, echoing John Stuart Mill, the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get itself accepted in the competition of the market. Thirdly, freedom of speech is the lifeblood of democracy. The free flow of information and ideas informs political debate. It is a safety valve. People are more ready to accept decisions that go against them if they can, in principle, seek to influence them. It acts as a break on the abuse of power by public officials. It facilitates the exposure of errors in the governance and administration of justice of the country. In Holborn Studios, Sir Ian Dove referred to the Local Government Association's publication, Probity and Planning, which says, Lobbying is a normal part of the planning process. It was, he said, indisputably correct that issues in relation to freedom of expression and the application of Article 10 of the Convention were engaged in the communication between members of a local authority, and in particular members of a planning committee, and members of the public who they represent and on whose behalf they were making decisions in the public interest. He held, similarly, bearing in mind the importance of the decisions which the members of the planning committee are making and the fact that they are acting in the context of a democratically representative role, the need for the communication of views and opinions between councillors and the public whom they represent must be afforded significant weight. In my view, it would be extremely difficult to justify as proportionate discouragement, prohibition or prevention of communication between public and the councils representing them, which was otherwise in accordance with the law. Here it is no part of the defendant's case to suggest that the communication which the claimant made in their correspondence in respect of the committee report was anything other than lawful. Mr Justice Dove concluded, Receiving communications from objectors to an application for planning permission is an important feature of freedom of expression in connection with democratic decision-taking and in undertaking this aspect of local authority business. The preclusion or prevention of members reading such material could not be justified as proportionate since it would serve no proper purpose in the decision-making process. Any concern that members might receive misleading or illegitimate material will be resolved by the passing of that correspondence to officers so that any problem of that kind would be rectified. In my view, there is an additional issue of fairness which arises if members of the planning committee are prevented from reading lobbying material from objectors and required to pass that information unread to officers. The position that would leave members in would be that they would be reliant only on material from the applicant placed on the public record as part of the application or the information and opinions summarised and edited in the committee report. It is an important feature of the opportunity of an objector to a planning application to be able to present that objection and the points which they wish to make in the manner which they believe will make them most cogent and persuasive. Of course, it is a matter for the individual councillor in the discharge of his responsibilities 
to choose what evidence and opinion it is that he or she wishes to study in discharging the responsibility of determining a planning application. But the issue in the present case is having the access to all the material bearing upon the application in order to make that choice. If the choice is curtailed by an instruction not to read any lobbying material from members of the public, that has a significant impact on the ability of a member of the public to make a case in relation to proposed development, making the points that they wish to make in the way in which they would wish to make them. The judge criticised the council's standard correspondence to the public, which clearly advised against writing directly to members of the committee. There was no warrant for that advice or discouragement, and it impeded the freedom of expression of a member of the public who is entitled to write to a member of the planning committee, setting out in his or her own terms the points which they wish to be considered in respect of an application and expect that the member would have the opportunity to read it. The permission was not quashed on this ground, since whilst committee members had thought they were obliged to disregard the letter from Holborn Studio solicitors, their points were made at the planning committee meeting by Holborn's QC, uh, who happened, as with the High Court, to be myself. The planning permission was, though, quashed because the council failed to make affordable housing viability assessments available to Holborn Studios and the public. These are background papers and given government policy and guidance on transparency, the public interest did not allow these to be exempt information. Mr Justice Dove found that the viability material which was published to justify a reduced affordable housing contribution was opaque and incoherent. But on the access to councillors, the judgment establishes surprisingly, one might think for the first time, the right of local councillors to receive correspondence from the public and to consider it when making decisions. Part of that is the right of the public to write. There's also a recognition that members can and will be lobbied, whether in writing, in meetings, at social events, or simply chatting in the street. Provided that is done openly, in particular that correspondence is copied as whether by the writer or the recipient, that is not simply legitimate, but an important part of the democratic process. In later podcasts, I will be looking at the most effective ways of making representations in writing and orally to committees. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.